the people that brought you In Goal Magazine. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. And we are on the air with episode 17. Hello, goalies, parents, coaches, and for those who are just interested in good quality hockey content or those that are just trolling. I'm Darren Millard, your host of In Goal Radio, the podcast. Today, we continue our look ahead to Tendy Fest, the gathering of goaltenders at Burnaby Eight Rinks at the end of the month, May 26th to be specific. You can try, test, talk, listen, shop, and more, all in a dedicated world about goaltending. Our gear segment today sends Kevin Woodley to Source for Sports Surrey and a conversation with Cam about the Bauer 2X line, that's one level below the pro line, a second price point, officially launched on May 17th. Our feature interview is an extended chat with two-time Olympian, three if you count his time in the management role, a man that spent almost 20 years standing in front of an NHL net, Sean Burke, who accepts a flurry of questions in the same manner that he played goal. He was solid, opinionated, steady, and on more than one occasion, spectacular. He doesn't shy away from any of our queries. That conversation, after we welcome in the co-founder of InGoal, Kevin Woodley. Kev? Thanks, Darren. Big show today. Big show. I'm really excited about this one. Sean Burke uh, was one of my favorite guys to talk to him when he was playing, and that hasn't changed now that he's moved on into scouting and hopefully in the management side soon. Uh, one of the good guys and just just a guy who is easy to talk to and loves goaltending. But before we get there, so I'm excited for it, but before we get there, I think we got to thank the people that make it possible. Uh, and that is Chad Purdy and his crew at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports here in Surrey. Uh, it's where I've been going for all my goaltending needs. Uh, actually, to be honest, predating my time within Goal Magazine. This is where I went to buy my first sets of equipment, uh, my first set of skates, my first mask. Uh, because the, guy there, the guys there know what they're talking about. This isn't just guys pulled off the street to work in a sports store. These are goalies, fellow goaltenders that know um, know the game, live the game, love the game. And for anybody that does all those things, they know that gear is an important part of it. And these guys get that. They've got a great selection. The latest lines from uh, CCM, Bauer, Bryans, Vaughn, Warrior, you name it, they've got it in there, as well as a lot of great accessories. We've gone over those past couple of weeks. I'm excited to go over the Bauer 2X line this this week with Cam uh, in our weekly gear segment. Uh, great sharpening from Cecil and his crew. They're always keeping me with a fresh edge. So that's why I go to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey. Uh, if you can't get there in person, if you're listening from abroad, and we know a lot of you have reached out and, and touched base with them online, that's thehockeyshop.com. Uh, they've got great service there online. You can ask questions through them and get answers there. Um, so, yeah, I uh, just wanted to say a quick thank you to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, for making this possible, we're giving us the opportunity to bring interviews like this one with Sean Burke. We're going to run uh, to you goaltenders around the world. Woody, thank you. If you're wondering, David Hutchison, the other co-founder of In Goal Magazine, is in Montreal doing some off-air work for In Goal, leaving Woody and me to take care of the production. Hmm, how will this turn out? Sean Burke is our guest, someone who is on track to become an NHL general manager. He's mentioned seemingly every time there's an opening these days. But in working backwards, he was also a top-of-the-mountain goalie coach in Arizona, had some 
really, really key roles in some of the best goaltenders to come out of Arizona in the Western Conference the last few years. That role as goalie coach followed a great career scattered around Hartford and Carolina, which is really one stop if you think about it. Jersey, Philadelphia, Tampa, played in Arizona, Los Angeles, Vancouver, as well as Florida. 800-plus games played. Burke topped 300 NHL victories. He was fiery. And one of my favorite parts about Sean Burke's approach is Burke refused to be just a goalie. And what I mean by that is he opted to be a full member of the team. He led, he coached, he mentored, and when it required, he kicked butt. He didn't just sit in the corner and play that role that some people feel goalies should play. Here is Sean Burke on In Goal Radio, the podcast. The playing career internationally and in the National Hockey League has a lot to to cover, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But first up, post-playing days. Give us an idea of uh, where you're at, the 411 on post-playing for Sean Burke. Yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll go to the background. I've I've spent the last uh, three years part of the Montreal Canadiens organization scouting uh, for them, but I've also uh, done a lot of Hockey Canada uh, things, including the Olympics, uh, a couple of Spengler Cups, the World Championships. So you know, it's been a real, uh, real good uh, three years. A lot of a uh, lot of experiences. Very uh, educational. Getting an opportunity to work with some great people, and I think it was um, it was the kind of uh, uh, year uh, or years that I needed to to sort of add to my experience and my resume. You know, you come off playing and uh, you become a goalie coach and. You were really good at it, Sean. I really made a name for yourself. And you've decided to move on and uh, be part of management groups and be a general manager uh, internationally. Uh, there's other people like Bill Ranford, for instance, with the, uh, with the Los Angeles Kings and his situation where he doesn't want to move up. He's very happy being a goalie coach. So uh, just curious where you find yourself in the mix between being at the top of your field as a goalie coach and then trying to pursue other opportunities. Yeah, well, it's funny. Billy, Billy was my goalie coach in L.A. at the end of my career. Um, and, you know, there's guys like Billy who are really, really good at what they do. Uh, they enjoy not only uh, the coaching, they, they enjoy the schedule of it. You know, you, you really as a coach uh, get a lot of your summer off. It's, it's more of a similar schedule to when you played. And, uh, and guys like Billy who uh, have so much to offer – uh, you know, it's why they're so good at their job. They, they've got experience, but they've also, uh, they, they can help players with the mental side of the game. For me, I, I enjoyed coaching. It was never, never a question, not enjoying it, but I started out after I retired in, in sort of management, I went into development right away and I, I ended up coaching really because Don Maloney had come to me and, and just asked if, uh, you know, we had Bristolov, we had just, just signed him and, Don thought uh, that there'd be a good fit there. And, and so I, I took it on, but never really taking my eye off the management side of things. And that was the deal I had in Arizona, uh, was that even when I was coaching, I was part of everything else that went on in the summer, the drafting, free agency, and all those, those areas. So, you know, coaching was something I, I, I really enjoy. And I still enjoy, I got on the ice. Uh, the last couple of years when I was a GM with the Olympic team, I got on the ice with the goalies. Sometimes I went out there. Uh, I don't think you have to totally go away from it, but obviously 
uh, for me personally, uh, I wanted to expand and go into some other areas. Well, I talked to some of those goalies actually, and they I could tell you how much they enjoyed that experience being on the ice with you. Um, one question before we kind of switch to stopping pucks and how you got started. We see so many guys, Sean, that have success. Uh, we run into, for, whether it's CEOs, corporations, all kinds of different fields that started in goaltending. A lot of times they talk about sort of the lessons or the life of a goalie sort of planting the seeds for success in other other areas outside of just being around hockey all the time are there are there aspects of goaltending that you think help make you you know well suited for this side of things switching over oh i definitely think so i mean i you know i don't know if there's a position in our game uh where you get an opportunity to be in the middle of the action but you also get to observe from a from a from a, you know an area in a position and nobody else a vantage point nobody else has i mean i i I guess I liken it to if you watch, you know, hockey 82 games a year from behind the glass, right behind the net, you would really see uh, a lot of things that nobody else gets to see. And you do that over the course of 20 years or so, you've seen a lot of hockey. You start to, I hope at some point, understand what a good player looks like and how the game really works. And and so that's, that's a, an obvious advantage. It's just uh, that position lends itself to you uh, being able to observe uh, like nobody else really can, but it's also a leadership position. I mean, goaltending generally never gets the credit for being a leadership position, but everybody will tell you, and I think it's proven to be true uh, over and over again, that uh, it's the most impactful position on a team. Just watch the playoffs right now. Watch uh, obviously everything uh, leading up to the playoffs. So much of it comes down to goaltending and it, it, it takes, it takes a leadership uh, mentality, not necessarily a vocal one or a guy that uh, leads by by the same way that maybe your captain does. But I think all those things you learn along the way from, from that position can help you in other areas of life and definitely help you uh, as you move out of the game as a player and into other areas. Would you like to see more goaltenders be visibly uh, vocal or uh just outwardly vocal uh, on the ice the way you were? Well, not really. I, I think it's, it's such an individual position, too. And, and, you know, there's no one-size-fits-all. I mean, I was very fortunate to play against and with uh, a lot of the great goaltenders. Um, and, you know, everybody was a little different in their own way, uh, even if it was just playing with a couple guys at All-Star Games, you know, Patrick Waugh or Marty Brodeur and... Uh, and seeing that their demeanor and the way, you know, the way they handled themselves. And, you know, I played with Hexall in Philadelphia, who very intense guy on the ice, but very, very kind of calm and, and quiet off the ice. And, and, you know, so, you know, my, my attitude on goaltending was always that your, your best, your best way of leading from that position is by example, you know, you can go out there and really, have a, a huge impact on the game. But if you get distracted and you're too vocal and you start to get wrapped up in too many other things, it's probably going to take away from your main job, which is stopping the puck. And, you know, I think there is a way that you can combine that. And, and I think the great goaltenders uh, always have. And, and if you, if you look at the guys I just mentioned, uh, not only were they top players in the league, uh, the Dominic Hastics as well, and, and those sort of players, but they were leaders on their team. And it's, 
it wasn't them wearing a C on their jersey that made them a leader. It was the way they competed every night and also uh, the intensity they brought to their teams. We saw the C on the jersey, or I guess on the mask, sort of not work out here in Vancouver with Roberto Luongo, Sean. I don't think a lot of people realize, but you had an opportunity to be a captain as a goaltender long before that. Is it all the things you just talked about? Is that why you turned down Hartford when they asked you to wear a C? Well, you know, I never really turned it down. I, I just, I, I think that at that time, uh, I remember it was Paul Holmgren, uh, you know, came to me and, and, uh, and wanted to know what my feelings are on that. And I, and I, and I just really felt that it's not something at that position that you need to demonstrate with a letter on your Jersey. Uh, the other side of it is, is the practical side of it. You're not going to be on the ice every night. You're not going to play 82 games. Um, so, you know, wearing a C and sitting on the bench really doesn't have the same effect anyway. Uh, but I also felt that leadership is a group thing. I mean, there's, there's been great captains, uh, in our game, guys that I've played with the Mark Messiers and, you know, I played with Pat Verbeek for a long time, Kirk Muller, but you know, all those guys also have a good supporting cast around them and, and lead by committee. So I always felt that, you know, if I was that guy that was considered a leader, I could I could be part of a leadership group and not have to not have to be front and center. It wasn't uh, it wasn't where I thought I'd be most effective. One thing that always bugged me when I was around the uh, the broadcast industry, you'd be watching a game and a goaltender would do something a little different, and you'd hear the the chimes just just stop the puck. Were, were you ever told that like, that kind of thing? <laughs> so many times in my career. Well, you know, earlier on. When I was younger and, uh, and and maybe a little more fiery, uh, you know, practices were different back then. Guys, guys competed a little differently. And and uh, and as a goaltender, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than getting scored on. And in practice, you get scored on a lot. So I was frustrated a lot of the time. And you know, uh, many times you bark at your teammates, and the guy shoots high, or he comes down and holds on to the puck too long. And I think every guy uh, has experience that if you've ever played the position for any length of time and that was the that was the standard come come back from a forward or a defenseman which really got under your skin because they're right you know just just stop the puck always seemed to angry but really at the end of the day uh, that is the job of the goaltender Sean Burke's chatting with us on In Goal Radio, the podcast, uh, chatting about uh, his memories of uh, playing the goal and his experiences uh, let's start with the with your journey why did you start the position yeah it was really kind of uh I, I just sort of fell into it as a kid i remember my dad um when i was about eight or nine years old uh just you know uh suggesting that i play goal and i i thought you know what i like i like the fact that i'd be on the ice the whole time i don't have to come off and uh, he started working with me as a kid he'd take me over to the schoolyard across the street and i'd put on a pair of goalie gloves and he'd fire some pucks at me. And, um, you know, I didn't have any equipment on other than gloves and a, and a stick. And, uh, trust me, I learned in a hurry how to catch pucks because if you didn't, uh, they were going to hit you. So it really, it really just happened to be my dad that, um, pushed me sort of in that direction. And, um, and, you know, as, as you get moving along, uh, I realized I had a little bit of ability. Uh, I enjoyed and I enjoyed the competing side of it, and uh, and I was very lucky in those days. You know, unlike it is now, I think um, you know playing hockey was a winter sport, and I and I did a lot of other things, and 
played baseball in the summer and, and all kinds of other sports and just really developed as an athlete more than anything, which, which I think later on was probably uh, one of my biggest assets was that I was, was athletic and, and was able to learn uh, the nuances of that position, but it was all based in uh, athleticism. At what point did a goalie coach enter the equation for you? We've seen it become so prominent from such a young age these days, Sean, and obviously a role you served in successfully right up to the NHL. But when for you did that become part of the equation? Because it was it was kind of a different generation there. There what there weren't a lot of goalie coaches in the NHL, or they were all sort of you know been there, done that. Here's how I handled the advice, guys. Yeah, there was no goalie coaching at a young age for me. Uh, like I said, my dad was my goalie coach, and uh, he never played the position. But he understood sports, and he understood, you know, that the. Uh, I mean, he used to say to me, "Hey, if you're going," and I never forget. He used to say it over and over: "If you're going to do something, do it right." And uh, you know, his his. Uh, I guess what he was really saying was what what everybody knows is that hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna get take the time to play, uh, give an effort and go out there and compete and give it your best shot. Um, but really formal goalie coaching for me never really began until I played junior hockey. And, and even then I was, I was with the Toronto Marlies and we didn't have a full-time goalie coach, but I was really lucky to have Johnny Bauer who at that time was around the Leafs and he would come and watch the odd practice and just sit on the bench and I'd skate over. He'd give me a few tips. Um, and that was, uh, and I and I didn't even, you know, as a young player, didn't even recognize what an honor um, and how lucky I was. I knew, of course, who he was and what his legacy had been. Um, but looking back, uh, what what a great guy to be your first, I guess, official goalie coach, if you want to call it that. Um, and then as I moved on to the Olympic team, uh, the national team with Dave King was the first time we really had a full time goalie coach, and 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 his name was Dale Henwood, and. And Dale was not a, an established goalie or anybody that had a career, but he was just a guy that was there every day watching, observing, giving you little tips. And, uh, and boy, what a difference I learned in a hurry that makes uh, just to have somebody that can focus on your position. And so from then on, obviously, on to the NHL. And I was very lucky. I had you know, Benoit Lair for a long time. I went, you know, I had Billy Smith. I had Reggie Lemelin. I I had a goalie coach everywhere I went after that, but, um, you know, it really helped me when I went into coaching too, to be able to take all the little things I learned from different guys and, and sort of mold it into, into what my philosophy was. Word for word will be impossible, but those exchanges with Johnny Bauer, can you pass along any of that to us? You know, it's funny. I, I don't remember specifically other than, I remember thinking when I was younger, you know, my dad's pretty smart because Johnny Bauer's saying a lot of the same things my dad was saying, and he never played. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, but I, but again, I think it was the time, the time and the era was, you know, looking back, and I've watched um, obviously videos of the old days, and you know, you see a, a game every once in a while, and you realize the one thing that's never changed in our game, and the one thing that's never changed at that position it's still probably the most important thing and that's competing. And, you know, the game sometimes has morphed into a more technical side. And obviously there's a lot of things that I worked on as I got older to help me uh, in that area. But ultimately those guys back in that generation, they, they looked at the game as you get out there and you compete and you do whatever you have to do to stop the puck. And, 
really, I, I was lucky that that's sort of what my base was in. I never was over-technical. I never got over-coached. And a, a, guy like, a, a guy like Mr. Bauer recognized from when I was young in junior hockey that I had some athleticism. And so a lot of his uh, talks that I remember were just based around competing and going out there and, you know, reading the play and, and observing uh, the rush and watching those kind of things and then just, just competing to stop the puck. So uh, that still to me till this day is, uh, is when you look at the guys who are playing in these playoffs and the NHL goalies, how good they are now. It still comes down to, at the end of the day, the guys who go out there and compete. You were unusually tall when you uh, left junior. Were you ever told that you were too big to be a goaltender, that you should try another position? No, not really. You know, I think that, um, again, I, I, I never can really say, looking back, that I was ever discouraged by anybody. I was very lucky. Uh, you know, anybody that I ever came across that was a coach of mine or that was uh, somebody that was in the game, um, you know, they were always pretty positive and nobody ever took me aside and, and, and tried to, you know, make me feel like, hey, I, I wasn't going to make it. I, no, but you were bigger than some of your defensemen or most of your defensemen at times. Well, that, the only disadvantage to that was we didn't have the toughest team in junior. And, uh, and so I, I was the guy sometimes that would get run behind the net, and I had to fight every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I can remember some of my defensemen saying to me before we'd start a game, hey, don't start anything tonight. And I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, I just stopped the puck. But, uh, no, you know, I think that... Um, Again, it, you know, athleticism, size, uh, those are never a disadvantage. Obviously, in those days, goalies uh, for, in general were smaller. I grew up watching Mike Thomas here, Doug Favell, Rogie Vashon, of course. But, but there was Ken Dryden. You know, he was in the league. And, uh, and he was a guy that I watched a lot when I was a kid. So there, it wasn't as if there weren't those kind of guys playing the game in those days. The Devils pick you in 85, World Juniors in 86, Olympics in 88. What are, is there one that stands out among those three big moments leading up to your pro career? What are your memories of the 88 Olympics? What are the ones that stand out most? Just the, obviously, the competition that we were playing in those days. You know, the, the Russian team was still made up of, of the, the big red army, the, uh, the big red machine. I mean, I think that if you... If you go back and look at those lineups, to be a uh, you know to be a, a young player that has never that had never played in the NHL at that point, um, but yet was playing against the Fatisovs and the and the Makarovs and those players, um, and and the other teams, the Czech team, uh, they had they had still a lot of their great players. Um, so you know I think as a young player, the the, the sort of uh, indoctrination that I got into the NHL. I came from playing against some of the best competition in the world before I ever got to the NHL. And, uh, and that was a real fortunate experience for me. One where I, I look back, Max McNabb, uh, when he drafted me was, was very, uh, was, was a very good general manager in recognizing that development was a huge part of, of young players. And so he, uh, he sent me off to the national team with Dave King and, uh, and I got, uh, I got a great, uh, I got a great development path, uh, that for me was, was the biggest reason I was able to have an NHL career. 
it's goofy, but one of the things that I remember about that Olympic Games was Andy Moog joined uh, the team late, and you guys were the partners, but they had some kind of rule about helmets or masks, and you guys had to change your uh, cages right before the tournament. Andy wore the bubble with the with the eye tech, and you you wore the cage, right? Yeah, no, it was really it was really strange. The IIHF, um, of course, the Olympics is an IIHF tournament, um, and their rules for the goalie masks were different. That you weren't allowed to have the, the the normal cage with the bigger eye eye holes, and we didn't find that out until we got to uh, basically the Olympic Games. Um, so yeah, we both had to change, and Andy Moog wore the strangest uh, combination I think I've ever seen up till now, where he had a he had a visor and a and a and a helmet and part of a cage and it was all it was all put together and you had to worry about it fogging up and all those kind of things i just went with the old standard cage which still was an adjustment because i had been wearing uh i've been wearing a different one but um yeah that was uh that was another little added uh excitement to the whole tournament did you freak out at all what's that sorry did you did you freak out at all did you say like what the hell are we doing this why are we normally finding out about this now I didn't say too much in those days. I was just excited to be there. I uh, I was um, I was like a kid in a candy store. I was getting to play in the Olympic Games. They could have told me to go out there with no mask on, and I think I would have done it. That reminds me of uh, Luongo here in Vancouver in 2010. I mean, all these years later, it was hard to believe it could still happen, but he broke in gloves with a one-piece cuff, and back then the IHF rules dictated you had to have a two-piece cuff, and he had to switch. So uh, it still happens, a little bit of differences between NHL and and international rules. Uh, Transition to the gear a little bit, Sean, before we get into your pro career, but how much of a role did that play, you know, in wanting to play the position you know for some guys that the gears you know a fascinating element of it was it for you growing up and the other thing we've talked about over the years that i wanted to ask you about when did the fear factor disappear for goalies because you played during that era where it went from getting hurt and feeling all those pucks really started to not be a factor anymore do you was that part of your career going through that transition Oh, absolutely. I mean, and, and I would never, I would, I would never, you know, categorize myself as a gear head. I mean, I, uh, as a kid, um, I remember being over in the schoolyard and painting my mask. Uh, you know, in those days, the Philadelphia Flyers, the, the Broad Street Bullies were a favorite team of mine. So I can remember taking an old, I think I got it at Canadian Tire, a little mask over the schoolyard and painting half of it black and half of it orange. I thought that was the coolest thing. You know, I had a, I had a Philadelphia Flyer mask now, and uh, and so equipment's always been a fascination for you know young goalies. I think it really does uh, attract you to the position. It's one of the first things that I think it attracts young players to want to be goalies. Um, I can remember the, one of the best Christmas presents I ever got was I was around ten years old, and my dad got me a pair of Vladislav Trechak gloves, a catcher and a blocker, and I. I don't know to this day if I've ever seen them anywhere else. Uh, I may have had the only pair in Canada. I don't know where he got them, um, but uh, they were the coolest thing. And uh, and obviously, I never took them off for the most part. But uh, ironically, all these years later, I'm I'm on an IIHF committee, and Vladislav Trechak is the chair of our committee. So, uh, you know, it's funny how the game you move along in it, and some of the experiences you have, but. Uh, Equipment for me was uh, was something that yeah definitely attracted me to this position. 
How, how much did it change the game as it evolved from a protection level? Like as, as a guy playing it at the time growing up where you felt all those pucks, like how much of an impact do you think it had on the style we see now that goalies for the most part don't have to worry about that anymore? Oh, it has a huge impact. Um, you know, obviously the, the position and, and when I started out equipment, was there to protect you and really that's all you ever thought of it is in terms of and it wasn't that protective at times i can remember coming out of junior that was probably the last time that i ever wore two-piece upper body where your 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 arm your arm protection and your chest protection were two different pieces and um and so you didn't have you know your elbows your shoulder caps, everything was protected, but not to the degree that if you took a shot, uh, you know, you, you weren't going to feel it. And so you just caught more pucks. You, you didn't block, you didn't go down into a butterfly position, uh, until you had to. And so it really has changed the position and yet it has to, because the shooting and the sticks and, and the one piece, uh, have all made uh, everybody a better and a harder shooter. So at the end of the day, you know, the equipment has still evolved in terms of having to protect players, but it really does change the way the position has been played because there's, there's not, there's not the same fear anymore for sure. I'm surprised to hear that you're not a gearhead because you were one of the guys that, that had always, I can always remember having the colored gear and the matching gear. One of the first ones. Yeah, I liked it to look good. I, I, you know, I wanted, I wanted there to be, um, you know, something that made sense about it that, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to look like a guy. I mean, I think part of that was probably that I grew up, you know, playing with, uh, you know, used pieces of equipment. Uh, you know, I didn't, I never had a new pair of pads as a kid. I, I, I got those gloves, as I mentioned, and I'm sure in those days, it was a huge investment for my family to have to, to, to come up with the money to buy those. So, I never was that kid that was out there with the greatest uh, equipment or the, or the, or the latest. So when I got to the point where somebody else was paying for it, yeah, hell yeah. I was going to have the best I could have. And it was going to, it was going to match because uh, that, that was the first chance I had to actually look good out there. Any favorite sets over the years? Cause I think like when we saw Carolina go to the Hartford jerseys this year, we sure saw a lot of pictures of your whaler setups on the internet. Oh yeah. I enjoyed the whale sale. That was a, uh, that was a great, um, a great look. I don't even remember who came up with that concept. Uh, I was wearing Brian's equipment for most of my career. And, um, and so, you know, those were, those were designs that somewhere in the little Brian's factory in Kingsville, Ontario, somebody was sitting there, came up with some ideas and they used to always just kind of run them by me. And most of the time I was like, yeah, that looks great. Let's go with that. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as just as the years went by, I think, I, I, you know, I always wanted the equipment to not sort of stand out in a, in, in a way that it, it took away uh, or it was distracting, but I always felt there was also a way that you could, you could sort of make it and, and a little bit of an advantage. If a shooter came in and he saw more white in your pads, he may, he may think that that was open net and, uh, and just little things like that that you, you started to think about playing uh, head games that maybe could help you with shooters. So, did you ever do studies or any real research on that, or was that just talking to guys and getting their feedback on on the what they see when they come down? Yeah, it was more just observing. 
you know, I think that, uh, you know, what a lot of people probably don't recognize with goaltending sometimes is that every goaltender really wants to be a forward. None of us really want to be goaltenders. We all want to be forwards. So every chance we ever got to go out and play shinny or scrimmage or get out after practice and shoot some pucks, uh, that, that really is what, what every goaltender really enjoys. So you just observe all the time and you're always looking and, um, I was always watching the other gear that guys were wearing. And, uh, when I did out after practice once in a while and maybe shoot a few pucks around, certain things would kind of jump out at me and you'd always kind of look and go, well, that guy's wearing white equipment. He just looks a lot bigger. And then you'd see a guy wear black pads. You thought, you know, those look small. I don't want to look like that in the net. So most of it just came from observing. Um, but quite honestly, I never, I never really was a guy that went home and spent a lot of time worrying about my equipment. I just wanted it to feel good, and I sweat like nobody else. So I would go through, I think one season I went through 15 pair of gloves, and, um, and I, I would break my equipment down so quick because of, because of how much I sweat, and thank goodness I wasn't paying for my own equipment in my career. I would have I come out owing money. <laughs> That career starts in New Jersey. You talked about it already, Sean, how much those Olympics prepared you for that run. But as it went on, 11 games at the end of the end, end of that season and right into the playoffs, I think you went in OT in the final game of the regular season to get the Devils into the playoffs for the first time ever. Like, could you have imagined a better start? Could you have drawn it up any better than that? No, obviously not. I mean, I never went into New Jersey uh, with anything in mind other than just trying to prove I was an NHL player at that point. And I think that that Olympic experience was really the only reason that I had any kind of confidence going into New Jersey. You know, I had been a second round draft pick and there was, you know, some thought that the team was, you know, um, anticipating me coming in. They felt that I was a guy that was a good prospect, but, you know, as a player yourself, you're going to the NHL. This is what you've dreamed of your whole life. You have no idea how you're going to fit in or how you're going to do. Uh, but I did feel that after the Olympics and playing against all those teams over the year that I, I was ready. I was as ready as I was going to be. And, uh, and I was lucky too. I went in there. I had a coach in Jim Schoenfeld that even when I didn't start out great, I mean, my first NHL win was a seven, six overtime in the Boston garden. I, I didn't exactly stand on my head. Um, but there was a confidence that I felt from the organization. So and, and from the players, you know, we had a good young team. So it, it really went better than I would have ever expected. And in hindsight, that was great, but it also didn't help me for the next couple of years because I, I really took a step back after that. And it was hard to recreate the emotion of an Olympic year and all the stuff that happened in Jersey. And, and then I was into what, what everybody knows is, is a long season. And for the next couple of years, I struggled. Sean, you were you were in that overtime game to put your team into the playoffs uh, for the first time. The goalie at the other end, could you believe that that you weren't lighting that guy up? <laughs> Darren Payne. Well, <laughs> I can't I can't believe it now when I when I uh, <laughs> when I see the size of him. I think he's got smaller somehow. I, I think he's shrunk too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, there's there's a great example of. I think what I was talking about maybe earlier, that Darren Payne was an incredibly competitive guy. And to play goal at, I mean, he'll list himself at 5'5". I'm not even sure he's 5'5". 
but he, he was just, you know, he was a guy that found a way to have a career because he competed. And, uh, you know, looking back, I never really thought much about the guy in the other end. Um, other than you knew nights when you were playing against, you know, Patrick Juan, Eddie Belfort, and some of those guys, you, you maybe got up a little bit more uh, for those games. But, but ultimately, I always had a lot of respect for everybody that was in, in that position because I knew how difficult it was and how hard those guys had worked. So uh, to me, Darren Pang was, uh, you know, you'll never see that again, uh, unfortunately, because there's guys out there his size that are, that are really competitive and, and talented. But as the game has moved uh, to the direction it has, it's really hard for a guy that size to play. I wanted to kind of move fast forward a little bit ahead in your career, Sean, and ask you, you mentioned him before, but a little bit more about Benoit Lair, because you'd already had a really good career before you arrived in Phoenix, in Arizona. But it looked like there was almost, a, is it fair to say, almost like a, a second stage to your career after hooking up with Benoit uh, in Arizona and then Philadelphia and Tampa Bay? Like, I don't want to say rejuvenation. I don't want to use the wrong word here, but you... you you jump back into the forefront of NHL goaltending after working with him. What, like what changed there? Well, you, first of all, you're being too kind. I was terrible before I got to, to uh, Arizona for a few years. And I, I had, I had lost, I had lost my understanding of the game. I really, I really don't know what I was doing out there. I don't, I, I drive home after some games uh, in, in Florida, the year I was in Florida, I drive home after some games wondering how I even, was able to win a hockey game because I had no idea what I was doing. I had lost, I had lost, you know, the, the understanding of the way the position was, was, you know, played. And so, so you're not just Sean, you're not talking confidence here. You're just talking like overall, you, you, you lost the feel for the game. Well, it goes hand in hand. You know, I mean, the confidence is something that, you know, you can, you can fool yourself sometimes. You can mentally get up for games and, as I said, go out and compete and manufacture some things. But ultimately, you still have to you still have to play the game. Uh, you know, you have to understand the game. You have to read the play. You have to technically do some things right. And and in those couple of years leading up to going on to, to Arizona, I had lost really my understanding of what I was trying to do out there. So I got away with it some nights. I was still young enough that I was. I, I, I felt good. I was in shape, all those things. Um, but I, I needed, I needed a real retooling. And, uh, and when I got to Arizona, it was, it was such a breath of fresh air, um, to just sit down with Benoit and, and have him sort of make me recognize that I wasn't as far off as I thought I was. I just needed to work on some things uh, more consistently, and I and I needed to understand the game a little differently because the game was changing, uh, and it, it's always changing. And I was at that stage where I was still trying to play the way I was when I was 21, and I wasn't going to get away with that anymore. So I, I give Benoit um, all the credit, really, for me being able to play uh, not only another 10 years in the league after I got to Arizona, but to have probably five of the best and most consistent years I had in my career. So what did you guys change in your game? Well, first of all, what I changed right off the bat was, was I just, I positionally, uh, you know, recognized that with my size, 
and the way the game was going and how quick it was becoming, I, I, need, I needed to, to step back a little bit. I needed to, to not work necessarily as hard, uh, not have as much movement in my game, not, not be as aggressive at times, and to really just let the play come to me. You know, I, I was always a guy that understood the game, um, you know, from a mental standpoint where I, you know, I, I read the play. I watched a lot of hockey. I, I played a lot when I was younger, you know, ball hockey, street hockey. I really had a good feel for the game, but I was overworking and I was trying to chase the game all the time. And, uh, and Ben Moy just sort of got me to think about, you know, letting the play come to me. You know, at the end of the day, the one thing that's never changed about goaltending and never will is, is the puck's got to come through you to get into the net. And if you're in position, that's, that's as simple as it really gets, is that it's got to come through you. So you can't chase it. You can't go looking uh, to get out there and grab the puck. It, it, it's going to end up coming right to you at some point. And, uh, and so I started to look at that side of the game a lot differently. Is that did that influence how you coach too? I mean, as you moved on from your playing career, and as you said, we're working in management, but also doing some goalie coaching. Is that did that sort of become part of your philosophy in Arizona as on the goalie coaching side of things? Absolutely, I plagiarized everything. I I took I took everything. <laughs> you know, I took everything that I learned from from Benoit on a technical side of the game, and I and I put it into my own coaching. You know, I combined what I what I think that was something that was unique to me was my experience as playing, um, the mental side of the way I looked at the game, the the, the conditioning side, what I felt a goaltender uh, could be to his team in a leadership role. Those were all things that I added into the way I coached with Riz Golov and Mike Smith and 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 uh, Devin Dubnik and those guys. But ultimately, at the end of the day, those are all very talented players um, that needed sort of what I did. They just needed a little retooling. They needed an understanding of, of some of the things to maybe work on more consistently. And, and then they're off and running. And, and every one of those guys uh, has gone on to play extremely well at times. And, uh, and, you know, they do it themselves at the end of the day. you got to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to change at times. But it sometimes takes somebody else to point that out to you. And, uh, and so I was lucky with Benoit, but I also wanted that to, to be able to pass that on to other guys when I got in the position. I, the one line I always hear from Benoit goalies is beat the pass, question, answer. And I remember, uh, or beat the pass, solve the equation. I remember Dubnik talking about, you know, how it you basically helped change his entire career around with, you know, one of the simple philosophies was if I can beat that pass on my skates, I'm at the right depth. If I can't, I maybe have a little too much ice. How much as you talk about that is little tidbits like that, but how much as a goalie coach is, the technical side like that and the confidence side, how much of it is a sports psychologist versus a technical goalie coach? Is it, is it an equal mix or it just seems there's a lot of sports psychologists for most goalie coaches these days. Yeah. And I think it depends on the individual. I mean, everybody's different to a degree, you know, you have guys um, that need more uh, massaging, should I say guys that are a little more fragile at times. But ultimately, anybody that gets to this level is not only a good player, they're, they're, they're mentally tough. Sometimes that can, 
that can uh, be eroded away. Confidence at that position is very fleeting at times. Um, there's there's lots of things you could do uh, from a coaching standpoint to uh, to hurt your goalie's confidence. Uh, you know, it's always it's always been something that I've uh, been frustrated at at the NHL level is, is is sometimes the lack of understanding from head coaches about the position of goaltending. It really is not that complicated. At the end of the day, a goaltender and his mental uh, stability and his confidence is not any different than any other position. And if if you're going to get yanked every time you give up a bad goal, if you're going to get sat out after you've had a bad game, um, those things are things that are going to hurt your confidence. Now, you have to deal with it. And got some guys are better at it than others. And some guys can overcome that stuff. But not everybody handles it the same way. And I think as a coach, uh, and I'm saying goalie coach, your biggest job is to find a way to keep your players confident all the time. Because if you're confident, you're going to play well. And doesn't mean you're going to win and team's going to go on and win every night, but, but you're going to play much better when you're confident. That's just as simple as it is. Did you play better when you had a partner that you got along really, really well with? as opposed to that you were competing with and had more of a, a competition relationship with? I never had any problem getting along with my uh, partners, no matter who they were. I mean, I, I looked at it again as a, as a respect factor. The guy that was sitting beside me, he had the same goals as I did. He wanted to play. He wanted to be a, a factor. He wanted to be the number one guy for the most part. Um, I was lucky. There was a time in, in my career when I had what you would call uh, you know, backup goalies that were comfortable as the backup. And, uh, and you know, I played well in that circumstance. Uh, at that stage, you know, I, I can remember in, uh, in Hartford, you know, I had Jason Muzzati, I had Jeff Reese. I had guys that were good goaltenders, but they, they accepted they were a backup. And so that puts, you know, the pressure on me to be, be a guy that went out every night and, uh, and I knew the team was counting on me. So, I thrived on that at times. Um, but there was also times I was in situations where I hadn't earned uh, the confidence of the coach or the organization to just be a guy they were going to give the ball to. And so I had to, I had to compete for my uh, ice time. But I, but I also always respected the other guy because I knew he was going through the same thing. So for me, um, you know, that's the team side of the game. Is there, are, there are points where you recognize hey, you're in a team sport here and you may not be individually getting what you want out of the game right now, but you have to find a way to contribute to your team. That's that's a big part of the role. With all that experience and all that knowledge built in, how hard was it to go from being the goalie, being the goalie coach, management, having touched all these bases and having that understanding of the position for those aspects, to being a goalie dad? Oh, the worst. <laughs> the worst. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I don't wish that on anybody. And I, you know, and I, I say that jokingly, but not really. I mean, it's not a, it's not a position that as a parent is a lot of fun to watch sometimes. And, and the reason for me, uh, we all, we're all the same with our kids. We, we want our kids to be successful. We want the best for them. Um, you know, I, I'm lucky that my, my oldest Brendan, um, you know, he, he has the same sort of attitude about the game that I always have. 
he goes out and works hard and gives it his best. And sometimes you just have to, you know, let the, let the chips fall. Um, but as a parent, uh, you know, I, I never, I never really enjoy watching, um, you know, Brendan play from a standpoint that it's his journey and, and he's going to, you know, I'm going to help him when I can, and he's going to find his own way in the game. And he, and he has, um, but you just can't relax as a parent. You just, at that position, you don't relax. And so um, I, I often thought back to all those years when my family was watching and, uh, and I really had a different perspective on it once I started to be a parent. And I, and I, I probably should have wrote apology letters to everybody in my family for having to, to go through that all those years. So any chance little Hudson, who's four, uh, gets to play goal? Well, I'm going to destroy the VCR tapes so that he never he never can see them. Um, but uh, the, the short answer to that is, you know, down here in Arizona, there's a lot of other sports uh, that that he'll be attracted to. I hope, and of course, there's not a better game than hockey, in my opinion. And uh, and and I think that it's the ultimate team sport. But if, if there's something else that he has more interest in than playing goal, I'm not, I'm not going to dissuade him from doing that. I'll tell you that. Like music. Uh, la- I was just going to say last one's a fun one for me, Sean. What uh, we've talked about guitars and we've written stories about how guitars can help with the glove hand, but how do they help with team building and leadership? And to, maybe you can share a couple of stories. Cause if I remember correctly, you used to take it on the road, world championships, playing with team Canada, and informal jam sessions with new teammates. How good a bonding exercise can that be? Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's like anything. You, you have to, in this sport and uh, in any sport, you have to find ways away from the game uh, to relax, to uh, challenge yourself. I was never from a musical family, so playing playing guitar for me was probably like it is for most kids, especially of, of that generation where, you know, you thought of a guitar as something that was cool. You thought it probably girls would probably like it. So you grabbed one thinking that if I could ever learn to play this, I, I'd probably be a pretty cool guy. I learned, I learned, I learned later on that it had nothing to do with being cool. Cause that sure didn't help me. Um, but <laughs> you know what it, what it did do was it gave me something to really work at that I wasn't naturally good at. And it also, uh, it, it did open up, it did open up the, uh, the communication path. A lot of times when you had one on the road, you didn't know your teammates as well as you'd like to, you got in a, in a room, you grabbed a couple beers with your guys, you played a few tunes. Um, so to me, it was, it's, it's a great bonding thing. And, uh, and in sports, especially hockey, where our game is so intense, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, we rely on our teammates so much. Anything you can do to get to know your teammates better and become closer is going to make you a better team. So I'm a big I'm a big fan of uh, of, of music and, and anybody that can learn to play the guitar. I tell you, it's uh, it's great in so many ways. Did you take requests back then? And what are some of the best like you've you've had a chance to play with some pretty big names over the years? Are there any that jump out? Yeah, I got to play with Garth Brooks, and I mean, for a guy that, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not per se a country guy. At the end of the day, I love, I love old country. I, of course, Garth Brooks is uh, an incredible entertainer, musician, songwriter, and uh, what an honor for somebody like me uh, to be able to get up on stage with him and play. And I, 
I've got I've got the guitar that he gave me sitting on my wall here, and I I obviously cherish it. Um, but you know that's that's the sort of uh, experience that it has resulted from hockey. And and to be honest, everything that anybody who's played this game for a long time has uh, is a result of hockey. And so that that to me is still uh, the way I look at everything. Is that uh, I've been very fortunate. I was so lucky to play a long time, and it afforded me some other experiences in life that I never would have got. So I don't take them for granted, but uh, I, I also know that if I was to, you know, walk out the door tomorrow and try to make a living as a musician, you'd see me on the street uh, panning for my next meal. Cause I'm not going to, I'm not going to ever make a living doing anything like that. Well, I'm on the same journey uh, much earlier than you. And that damn F chord, if I could never get that thing clean, uh, I'll be the happiest guy in the world. So, <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh there are there are some challenges and the dexterity and all those other things uh, again can't hurt you in anything you do but um, you know what the one thing I learned and again it goes back to the playing uh, of of hockey is it, everything is everything it takes time and it takes practice but it's also you know you got to practice the right things and um, and for me guitar playing was never natural it was not something that I picked up and thought oh boy this is easy. But you learn things from different people along the ways, like goalie coaches. You find a guy that teaches you a few little things here and there, and and it's a lot of fun when you actually sit down. And you realize, okay, I can I, I can play this. I I actually understand this a little bit. So um, a challenge, no doubt, but one that uh, I'll keep doing the rest of my life. I can't play hockey the rest of my life, uh, but I I can play guitar the rest of my life. In the uh, spirit of music and and uh, and. Garth Brooks, uh, you got a tune-up from Benoit Allaire. Now, after this conversation with Woody and I, you can say you've got friends in low places, and we also enjoyed we also enjoyed this dance with you. <laughs> I can't even I can't even think of anything to come back with there. That was pretty darn good. That was a, that was a great segue into the end of this. So, I appreciate it, guys. Anytime, uh, and uh, and you do a great job, and I've uh, been glad to be a guest with you guys. Thanks, Berkey. Okay, guys, we'll talk again. You know, Sean's work as general manager of Canada's bronze medal winning men's Olympic hockey team at the most recent Olympic Winter Games was another step towards a GM position with an NHL club. I really like his approach. The way he says he jumps on the ice with the goaltenders, even though he's not a full-time goalie coach anymore, he still has that knowledge to pass on. So why not contribute? Too many times coaches or managers get separated and slotted into specific categories, distancing themselves from their specialty. Burke is a great example that people should and can still chip in. Chris Pronger does much the same thing with the Florida Panthers. You know, Kevin Woodley also plays that role around in goal. He bounces from the interview setting with Sean to hitting up Sorcerer Sports in Surrey, the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com for our in goal radio gear segment. The light says he's ready to rock, so it's uh, go time for the gear, Woody. Welcome back to the basement of the hockey shop, or as I like to call it, a little slice of goalie heaven, hockey shop source for sports, and thehockeyshop.com. We're here with Cam for our weekly gear segment. And before we get into it, we're going to talk about the Bauer 2X. Uh, May 17th is a launch date, so a couple days after this podcast launches for the entire line. Uh, we've been working on the 2X Pro uh, pads, gloves, 
uh, blocker. But we want to talk about the next price point down today, the Bauer 2X. There's some really exciting things there. But before we get there, I understand you actually had a visitor. Guy came all the way or was in from Calgary, came all the way out here just to say hi because he listened to you on the podcast. And you didn't get his name to give him a shout out? You know what? I feel bad, but we're going to count this as the shout out anyway. Uh, Came in, huge fan of the podcast, heard the guys, uh, found out you myself and uh and, you know chatted about gear for the next half an hour it was definitely a bit of a humbling experience even though you know it's gotten so big yeah the, yeah yeah, yeah. The, we didn't yeah another size up on the helmet yeah e- e- ego? E- e- ego, ego was the one yeah ego. yeah okay well we're gonna pump it up a little more and we're also gonna <laughs> pump up the bauer 2x line here um again on the website may 17th you will see our overview uh kind of our first look in depth we've had it on the ice with the with the 2x pro line um, but we want to expand this. We know that not everybody is buying um, the pro product. Uh, we know that uh, you know some of you are buying the next line down, especially if you're younger or even beer leagues. And there's been some really positive developments. We talked about it already when we did the C- CCM E-Flex 4, uh, the 4.9, as well as the Pro. We've already talked about the Bauer 2X Pro. Let's do their next price point. And it's just simply the 2X. Some features carry over from that top end down to this second price point. Walk us through them. Definitely. Looking at the pad in particular to start out with, and again, with those features that are coming down, it's it's quite important to talk about here. Uh, even picking up the pad, looking at it as a face it's really hard like at the naked eye to start to tell the difference between that and what would be the 2x pro um, for starters uh, so the front face won't have that same cortex that you'll find on the uh, 2x pro that said it's a synthetic leather going out through the front face of the pad moving on to the slide surface this is now where we find a similarity to the 2x pro it is their cortex st material on both the uh, knee uh, wing and the calf wing um, it's going to create that nice slide surface it's a nice hard surface to again help increase that uh, slide back and forth yeah and that's what one of the big things obviously you know we can't assume that everybody's followed along as we've covered this pad from 1s through 1x 2s and now 2x um, but that's the material that Bauer kind of the innovative material that they came up with basically changed the way they built pads with that Cortec ST so it's not on the face of this pad but it is on your primary points of contact on the inside edge and that's the knee um, and, and underneath the calf and that's what creates that sliding. Like we've seen it. It's a, there's a noticeable difference there. So to be able, and we've, we've talked to NHL guys about it, about how much better that material slides. Largely it's, it, it's a hard surface on the inside edge. Um, and you get that. So you're going to get that sort of that pro level sliding of the two X pro in the two X line. You're also going to get, uh, again, not the same material on the surface, but it sounds like they've put, Uh, some carbon in there as well to, again, maybe not quite the same level of active rebounds, but a more active rebound than they'd have without it, the curb composite. Yeah, so this, to me, is probably one of the more exciting upgrades that's been brought to the line, which we'll allude to a little bit later. Uh, Curvex composite, so something that you've, again, normally only found in their uh, pro-level series, whether it be the 1S, 2S, you know, 1X, now what will be 2X. Um, Structure for the pad, a little bit on the rebound qualities as well. Uh, Huge upgrade, especially for longevity of the pad in terms of, uh, you know, it breaking down and whatnot, getting too soft. And again, uh, consistently popping out those rebounds a little bit harder, but even in the mid-range level pad now. Yeah, and and so that's, um, we talk about, you know, overall, the 2X line, 2X Pro and this 2X pad, designed to be more flexible, uh, like we would normally associate with a quote-unquote softer pad. So the boot brake has more flex to it. Um, it's got a little more give you know, through the thigh rise. It's a little more flexible there. 
Um, but again, without sacrificing the innovative stuff, a lot of times we think of a softer pad, we think of softer rebounds. Uh, we think of, you know, not having that sort of, it, it's basically a modern pad with a more traditional feel. And they've continued that in terms of the intention of the 2X line as well as the 2X Pro. Correct, correct. Um, moving down to the boot of the pad. Uh, so we have that same 100-degree free flex uh, boot that you once again find on the 2X Pro. So a bit of a flatter break, not as steep as the as the 2S. That's correct, yeah. So it's sit a little bit flatter on your skate. Um, and again, a little bit more flexible there too as well. So again, some of the differences. Um, also, we have the uh, same elastic toe ties that we'll find on the... Um, uh, 2x pro uh, again to give you that flexibility we have uh, that video up on uh, uh, our instagram i believe and also ingles instagram as well of uh, the pad actually sliding and how it rotates and snaps back so your biggest benefits for your elastic toe ties you can visually see it uh, with that example yeah pad really as you as you get back up out of the butterfly the elasticity helps sort of pull it back to the center of your skate as you get up to your stance uh, automatically but as we said when you're down on the ice that the elasticity allows that skate to get to the ice. A little bit of tension there, but but uh, almost like acting like a toe tie in terms of giving you some slack that you can get the skate to the ice for a push and to make it easier on your joints, um, but without the sloppiness of a toe tie. It's more responsive as you get back up. Exactly. And just a couple more features to quickly call out. Um, things that, again, you'll find on the uh, top price point in the 2X, but also here. Um, again, the re... No, I wouldn't say redesigned, but uh, slightly modded um, calf cradle with the uh, elastic extensions at the bottom of the boot, allowing it to flex a little bit more. Um... Overall, the inside material still features the uh, Quattro material that uh, you once again had on the 2X. A nice little upgrade there. And the adjustable uh, knee wing as well uh, that you would find on the Pro Pad. Yeah, and removable too this year. Like not just adjustable, but removable. Nice feature as we're testing it because we got guys that want it, guys that don't want it. We can pop it in and out back and forth. Uh, I will say too, the... Uh the tune fit strapping system on this is our first experience with it in the 2X Pro, and it continues in the 2X. A lot of response so far. I mean, this is a pad, again, designed to be more flexible, designed to be worn tight, but you really have the ability with that tune fit system to kind of adjust just how tight, how connected you feel through the shin into the top of the boot, um, how your leg moves with or or the pad moves around your leg. Uh, been really impressed with that, actually. I, I kind of understand now why even some guys like, say, a Devin Dubnik uh, have, you know, that, that leg channel on a 2S pad. So... Uh, there's some real positives there, and it's nice to see that it continues. It's not just for the Pro Pad. It continues down to the next price point. We speak about price point. Um, what are we looking at here for a difference between a 2X pad versus a 2X Pro? Like, just how much are people saving on this? So for a 2X Pro, we're looking at that $19.99 price point, so basically $2,000. Um, here, we're half that. We're looking at $9.99. Um, there is a, a little bit more to that that I will allude to after we cover the glove and blocker as well. There is a custom oh, element to I this. Oh, I almost forgot. Well, I think we should talk about that now. Uh, so you we can let the cat actually out of the bag get, on this. I did. I did. Well, we don't want to. You know, we don't want to leave them hanging too long. We could have teased it, I guess. But um, when we talk about pro pads and all the features, we see them carried down to this line. But the one that might be the most exciting is you can actually get a custom 2X pad. So a lower price point, half the price, but still some custom options. What what can you get custom at this level? So what Bauer offers, um, you're going to be able to do uh, custom colors, pick your size, and also add your name. Um, the color zone's a little bit more limited than what you'd find on the 2X Pro. Um, I believe it's only three zones off the top of my head. Um, 
that said, you get those colors, you get your name on it, you're getting all those features of that kind of pro pad, especially for that mid-range price point. Now, it is a touch more. Uh, I don't have that off the of top of my head, but you can contact me here at the hockey shop to find out exactly. 604. And how, how you know, 589. Look at this. It doesn't even need 8299. Say it again. 604. 589 8299. Nice. And of course, com. You can, you can contact them through that as well. Um, okay, so custom colors in the second price point pad. Your name on the pad, like, like, I'm sorry, I don't care. Ours all say In Goal Magazine when they send the samples, but that's always been one of the cool parts of being a goalie. It's not just the custom gear, it's having your name on a set of pads. And the fact they're offering that without having to be at the full pro range and the full pro, pro price point. That's kind of cool. I like it. I'm like, like there's a little, uh, little, little golf clap over here for the Bauer crew. Nice. There's okay. A, there's a genuine smile across the table here. I can see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not to nerd out too much, but yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of geeked on that one. Um, and the other thing I should say, we will have an in, one with an Ingol magazine embroidery on it because we're going to test two X and two X gloves. We're actually going to test that at a major Bantam level for an entire year. Uh, we'll do a full review on it, and then we'll keep keep you up to date. So so let people know, you know, just testing the durability factor, testing how it compares to a pro pad when it gets in regular skates at a high level. These, I think it's a misconception sometimes with that lower price point that, oh, this is a cheaper pad, and it's for kids that aren't good. Like So we want to put it to a really good test with a really high-end high end young goaltender, and I'm looking forward. Thank Bauer for that, and looking forward to sort of sharing that feedback with everyone as we get this kid into it. So let's move on to the gloves and the blocker real quick. Um, first thing I noticed about the Vapor 2X glove uh, in it, compared to the Vapor 2X Pro uh, is how well and easily they both close out of the box. It's, box, it's like flippy flap, no problem. Even when you have weak little soft hands like me, uh, you can still open and close this thing like butter. That's uh, that's pretty impressive. So, I mean, to even highlight, once again, that f- flippy flap, as you refer to it. It's a real technical <laughs> term. I, I like to bring the deep, analytical, scientific-based uh, terminology to this podcast. So, I mean, to dive into that a little bit deeper, Bauer really set uh, themselves out to to have that excellent closure right out of the box for, you know, to be all three price points of trappers, which we can get into a little bit later. Um, that said, this glove, uh, once again, it doesn't share as many similarities as it would differences to uh, the X900 of last year. Um, we're similar 60 degree angle that you're going to find on the 2X Pro. Uh, one of the bigger uh, upgrades um, that you would find on this glove um, in comparison to things that we would have seen last year would be the Curve X Composite again. Um, I know we talked about that a bit in the pad, but with the addition of the glove, it provides structure and also uh, a bit of a protection standpoint. Point two for it, um, fantastic upgrade once again for a mid-range level glove. Well, especially from the and from a durability and structure, like that's going to keep help the glove keep its shape for longer. Exactly, exactly. Um, not the same uh, outer skin material as you would find in the uh, 2X Pro. Again, similar story to what's going on in, uh, in the leg pad. Uh, it's there. Um, other than that, I mean, this glove just feels great. I mean, I have it on my hand right now. I'm sitting there opening and closing it, and I'm really having no effort at all. Yeah, he's got little baby girl man hands like me too. So um, it's uh, he, the fact he's able to do that is really, really quite impressive. His head's growing, but his muscles haven't. Um, the uh, I will say that you know we talk about a sixty degree closure. Uh, we try and compare, not to compare to other brands, but just because people come from other brands. Um, I really like the Bauer Two S glove 
as more of uh, it was more like kind of like a like a Vaughn 5500 or a CCM 600 that sort of first baseman's mitt uh, fingertip to the end of the thumb closure. I thought that was the best glove Bauer had made personally. Um, used it for more than a year and really loved it. This one, uh, the feedback early on it is fantastic, but different break. So 60 degree, uh, a little more comparable to say if we're talking CCM, a 590, or in the what would be the comparable in a Vaughn? Vaughn has their XP model, which would be, again, we're all firing, or we can all group it into that 590 break kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, I, I give CCM yeah. credit here. Um, they've created a vernacular that's consistent uh, among their different glove lines, so that's why we make the comparison. We're not we're not comparing the glove to it. It's just that some people have used that brand, and so they'll know. So this is more like a 590, 60-degree break, nice clean break right down the line and through the pocket. Uh, it doesn't you know it doesn't change angles as you get into the pocket. Uh, a little bit of a flatter surface on the hand. It's not. It's not. It doesn't curve in deep at the thumb, but a really nice, big, generous pocket. And it, I think what we've had on the the tester feedback so far is just presents nice, like as easily as it closes. I sometimes find gloves that close easily out of the box. Uh, they come closed and they don't want to present open and you have to work to break it in that way. This thing presents wide open and still closes easily. So uh, stick tap to the boys at Bauer for coming up with this model. Exactly, exactly. Minimal effort to have that open presentation. And I am all about minimal effort. Let's go to the blocker. <laughs> all right. So blocker, um, again, we can talk about similar stories that we've already kind of mentioned with the catch glove and the leg pads. Um, so not the same front mace material, not the... Not, not the Gore-Tec ST, but we've got a synthetic leather on there. Similar look, sort of the, the diamond-shaped dimpling uh, on, on part of the pad, but again, not, not using the same materials. Exactly, exactly. But once again, as we've called out before, the addition of Curvex Composite. Now, uh, Bauer blockers have become uh, almost they've famous. Come a, yeah, they've, yeah, yeah. They've become they've come a, they've come a long way. I actually remember, and this one feels similar to it. Um, the line itself wasn't a home run, but I remember way back to the Reactor Six Thousand when we first tested that with blocker, and that blocker to me was a home run. And they've kind of continued and enhanced some of the sort of feel and trends of that blocker right right into their different lines and it looks like they've done it here again with the 2x what what did what would the key differences be between a 2x vapor blocker and a 2x pro uh, beyond it, the material it, it basically is that material i mean it, the rebound qualities between the two are going to come out very similar obviously the the core tech on the front face the 2x pro is going to help it give it that little bit more but that curve x composite also helps with that rebound quality and finding that in the mid-range blocker you're going to be sending those pucks flying yeah it's funny we haven't talked about that much we've talked a lot about the past and just how active pucks are off the pads on the Bauer line. And I mean, hey, Linus Allmark of the Buffalo Sabres say that's why he switched to the Bauer pad. There, there is value in that hot rebound. You get that off the blocker too uh, in the 2X Pro, and it sounds like maybe not quite the same in 2X, but still with the Curve X composite, it's still a, uh, still a hot rebound. And you know, again, that's the difference between leaving one somebody can get to and being able to direct it past them with enough velocity that they can't. Sometimes that's the difference between pulling it out of the back of your net or not. What you do a lot. Oh, I kind of deserve that, and also it's kind of true. All right, Cam, uh, do we want to walk quickly? Because we've been talking a long time about this 2X line, uh, and we got Sean Burke on today, and he was 50 minutes of beautiful talk about goaltending. Um, do we want to do go through the lower price points? We saved that one for another day. I think we'll save that one for another day. Perfect. So this is the second price point from Bauer. Uh, it will be in store at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, online at thehockeyshop.com on May 17th. Uh, we'll have a full review of the 2X Pro line, but like I said, 
not everyone needs the Pro, and there are some really great features here in the 2X line. We'll have a look at that at Ingol Mag in the near future. But in the meantime, if you've got any questions, make sure you come down and see Cam or check them out at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Another excellent week here in goalie heaven in the basement. Cam, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Kevin. I'll be heading out to the gym now. <laughs> got to work on those arms. Look at your counter and, or your clock or whatever you do to keep track of things. But you can tell we went long in the interview today. So what we're going to do is hold off on the listener questions for this episode 17. My hope is to double up next week. So please send us your thoughts and your questions to podcast at ingolmag.com. Podcast at ingolmag.com. I can't do it quite as well as our good man, David Hutchison, but uh, the, the information is the same. Plus, don't forget... If you're in BC's Lower Mainland at the end of the month, Sunday, May 26th, come out to Burnaby Eight Rinks for the Source for Sports, the Hockey Shop 2019 Tendy Fest. Woody Hutch and I will be recording a live podcast. You can browse all the latest lines of gear and check out the very latest from all the manufacturers. The information available at thehockeyshop.com. And by the way, check out ingolmag.com. I'm looking at it right now, and it's a great resource. Uh, Carrie Price is on the cover at this point, the homepage. We also have the gear segment, CCM E-Flex 4 gloves, and it's got all the brakes, the 90, the 60, the 50. It's the 600, the 590, and the 580. It's, it's really cool. There's some uh, unboxing of the gear as well, and uh, that excitement that you get to share uh, with our, our good friend, Matty, uh, who unboxed his, uh, his latest set of CCM gear. On behalf of Hutch and Woody, our thanks to Sean and Cam for their time this week. I'm Darren Millard, sending a big stick tap to you, you right there, for listening and supporting the world's leader in goaltending. We love this project, it's a passion, and we're happy to have you along for the ride. Until next time, don't hesitate. Make your decision and go. For those who pause and think about it, end up watching the puck dropped at center ice. I'm talking about that race for the puck. So go get it, goalies.